Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. Due to CDC recommendations, we are live streaming our services until further notice. You can join us online at 11 o'clock a.m. on Sunday mornings on our YouTube channel by searching for A10 Sunday Morning, or you can watch this last week's message at area10church.com. For more information, you can visit area10church.com slash now to learn more about what is happening at Area 10 Church right now. We hope to see you back at the Bird Theater again soon. Glad to be with you here uh, today. I just want to let you know up front, like we have done throughout our time of, of shelter at home and, and, and doing online services, that if you want to text in a question, uh, text it in during this message, and we'll put a number up on the screen. You can text in any questions you have as we go. We will try to answer them at the end of the service today. We want this to be as interactive as possible. So my senior year of high school, I was president of the student government. And one of the jobs I had as president of student government is every morning I would go go down to the office and I would, I would read the announcements for the school across the school intercom and I would lead the entire school in the Pledge of Allegiance. Okay, I don't know if they still do Pledge of Allegiance to schools. I'm not sure if that's a thing, but it, it has been a thing and it's, it's weird. And I started thinking about why do we stand up and put our hand over our heart and we say Pledge Allegiance to a flag? Like what's going on with that? And it turns out the origin of the Pledge of Allegiance is from a Baptist minister in New York in 1882 who was a Christian socialist. So he was following Jesus, but he also believed in sort of the tenets of socialism. And he developed this pledge where we would pledge allegiance to a republic or to the, the government. And, and I thought, okay, that's kind of interesting, um, but it, it's a little weird. Uh, the, the, the Pledge of Allegiance as we know it uh, didn't have the words to the United States of America. That was added in 1923, so it was added later. And then the one nation under God, the under God part was added in 1954 by President Eisenhower, who was concerned we were all becoming communists. And so the under God thing was added to the pledge. So that's kind of the origin of the pledge. And I think it's weird to pledge allegiance to a flag, to a country, to a system of government, something like that. Um, what's going on there? What do we mean? And it feels oddly socialist to me. Apparently, I'm not the only one who thinks that's kind of weird, because in 1898 in Brooklyn, New York, uh, a, a, another clergyman uh, developed the idea of uh, a Christian flag that, that is different than the American flag. We'll put it up on the screen so you can see what the Christian flag looks like. So the Christian flag is a white flag. The white is supposed to symbolize purity or peace or something like that. The blue in the corner is supposed to symbolize the, the waters of baptism. And then the red cross that's in the corner is, is the cross of Christ, and the red is for the blood of Christ. And so it's this, this symbol of the Christian flag. If you're a Christian, you probably didn't know we have a flag, but apparently we have a flag. And bonus, we have a pledge. There's a pledge to the Christian flag. If you grew up maybe in like a Baptist church camp, you probably know the pledge to the Christian flag. I didn't know it. I actually had to write it down. I'll read it to you. Here's the pledge to the Christian flag. I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the Savior for whose kingdom it stands, one brotherhood uniting all mankind in service and in love. So if you grew up at church camp, you probably just recited that with me. In, in, in unison as, as we did it, but um, I, didn't know, I didn't know we had a flag or a, a, a pledge, but we do. And this got me thinking, what does it mean to pledge allegiance to a flag? But really, what does it mean to pledge allegiance at all? What am I pledging? What does my allegiance mean? Where, 
Where should I do that? Why should I do that? And this actually creates some tension in me as a follower of Jesus. Because my heart is for Jesus, I am a Christian, my identity is in him, and so I want to expand his kingdom, I want to grow and learn from God and follow him all all my days and on through eternity, but I also live in a different kingdom. I live in the kingdom of America. We don't call it a kingdom, but I live in this structure in this time, and America has its values and its goals and its its procedures and and, and its laws and all that kind of stuff, and so uh, the, the kingdom of of God, God's kingdom does not, is not a perfect overlap with the American kingdom. Granted, it's probably easier to be a follower of Jesus in America than it is in China or Syria or some other places in the world, but that doesn't mean that the kingdom of America and the kingdom of God are exact overlap. They're different. And so when someone calls me to pledge allegiance to those things, I really want to think about it and look at, look at it closely. What does it mean for me to pledge allegiance to something, maybe something other than the state um, and I've thought about this during lockdown because in the last several months, uh, a lot of people with shelter at home were working from home, were playing video games from home, uh, were doing all the home things. And um, a lot of people took to social media because it was their best shot at having contact with the outside world. And I, and I totally get that. And what I noticed um, in myself and my tendencies in my own heart and then what I would see in others on social media is that under pressure, um, stuff comes out of us. And when we're feeling like we're in a crisis or when, when things get destabilized, some of our true nature starts to show and what we're really all about starts to come out through our, through our keyboards, through our words, through our videos. Um, in fact, author Robert McKee says it this way, true character is revealed in the choices a human being makes under pressure. The greater the pressure, the deeper the revelation, the truer the choice to the character's essential nature. Basically, what he's saying is our allegiance shows when we're under pressure. When the chips are down, when things get tough, um, who we are starts to come out. In absence of pressure, we can pretend to be whoever we want to be. We can Instagram our image. We can put a filter over that. We can look a certain way. We can act a certain way. And as long as the economy is good, as long as I have a job, as long as my kids are cared for, as long as people are getting good grades or whatever it is, as long as the, the graphs are sort of going up and to the right, we can pretend to be something. We can say, I'm fine. Things are good. Isn't everything great? Uh, isn't everything nice? But, um, but when, when pressure comes, when, when those chips are down, when the economy tanks, um, your true character will come out. And so here's my question I've asked of myself and I'm asking of you. What has come out of you in the last four or five months? What has been revealed about who you are in your, in your social media, in, in your interactions with others, in your, in your fears, in the way you talk about the world right now? What's, what's come out? For some people, what's come out of them in the last few months is their allegiance not to Jesus, but their allegiance to a political party, to a, to a, a school of, of political thought. Uh, for some people, what's come out of them is their allegiance to their ethnicity or their allegiance to a sexual preference or their re- allegiance to their religious faith. Um, in, for all of us, as we are in kind of the fog of war and not knowing exactly what's going on and getting conflicting information from all forms of leadership, uh, we are grasping at anything to make meaning of the world right now. And so I want to talk about our faith and our allegiance to Christ and how it makes meaning of the world, and it makes some sense uh, during all this. And I want to talk about what it means to have faith in God through this, this mess, because um, 
when the pressure's on, this is when we want to chuck our faith or when we want to maybe go a different direction, and, and, and we're seeing that too. This series we're calling House Arrest, Life Lessons Under Lockdown, and we're talking about what are some of the key learnings that we've had over the last several months about church, about life, about God, about faith, about how we live, what, we, what matters to us, what is meaningful and purposeful in the world. And, and to do that, we're actually looking at the Apostle Paul, who wrote a, a big chunk of the New Testament, and Paul wrote... Uh, four letters in, in lockdown himself. He was uh, uh, in, under house arrest and then he was in prison uh, towards the end of his life and was eventually executed in Rome. And Paul wrote some, some of the greatest letters of the New Testament he wrote while he was under, uh, under lockdown. And so uh, we're not the first ones that have experienced something like being forced to stay at home. Um, and so, except Paul didn't have Netflix, so he, had, he wrote letters. And thank God he did because we have them today and we can get the wisdom out of them. So that's the series we're in. And last week we started by talking about the gospel, what the, the center of our faith is. Paul kind of lays it out for us in Ephesians chapter 2. And if you remember last week, I got emails and texts from, from you. Um, last week was a little bit heated. There was, there was some stuff there. There was a lot of doom and gloom. Um, I had someone t- watch, watch the, uh, our, our, tune in for the first time last week, and they are like, well, you're, you're kind of a fire and brimstone preacher. I'm like, uh, not if you've grown up with fire and brimstone preachers. I'm not. You would really know what those are like, but uh, but I I can't get around the fact of what Paul was saying that that we are 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 sinful um, and that we are broken and in need of salvation. And so we read Ephesians two one through four. I want to pick it up there because actually chapter, verse four is when it starts getting good. Let's pick it up there. Let's go four through seven. We'll put it up on the screen. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We said this last week, when you are dead, you don't need resuscitation, you need resurrection. And what you can't do is resurrect yourself. You need God to step in and do his work, which Paul says that's exactly what God has done in Jesus. He has resurrected us. Uh, He has poured out his grace, which is his unmerited favor towards us, his incredible kindness and his mercy and his love. God has shown towards us even when we were um, a a mess. And the truth is, and this is why we call that amazing grace, because it's incredible what God has done. The truth is we're all a mess. We've all sinned. We've all blown it. We've all messed up. And you know that. Even if you, if you don't believe in Jesus, you don't believe in God, you don't believe in any of this, you know you've messed up. You know it in your heart. You, you know the things that nobody else knows about you. You know the things that you try to keep a secret from people that you go, well, there was that one time. Like, you've got that. I've got that. You've got that. We all have these things in our lives that we're not proud of, of whatever standard we have set, of whatever moral, ethical, what a sometimes legal standard that has been set for us or that we have set for ourselves, we all know that we've fallen short of it. We're all aware of that. I, I, I don't think I need to convince you of that. And as much as we like to project that we are good and nice people and kind and all of those things, the truth is there is some darkness in our hearts. The, heart, the scripture says the heart is deceitful above all things who can understand it. There, there's a deceit even in our own hearts um, about, about who we are. And so Paul says, yeah, that's all true, but God has 
done something different for us. In fact, he has changed our status. If you, if you look at the, the way the verb tense is, just in what I read to you, he doesn't say, you will be risen with Christ. He doesn't say, um, you will be seated in the heavenly realms. He says, he acts like it's already happened. Um, he, he talks about uh, we, we were dead. God has, has raised us up with him in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. Um, he, he gives us all these like past tense things like this has already, already happened. Uh, we, we have been made alive together in Christ. What's he doing there? He's pointing to a spiritual reality that we are changed people, that, that we, we now sit next to God in heaven in some way, even though what we're experiencing in 2020, what you're experiencing in America, what we experience in life right now does not feel like heaven. Paul says, yeah, but there's a reality here for you that be- when you gave your life to Christ, something positionally changed for you. And you are, uh, you are in some way seated with Christ right now, um, that he has changed something for you. There's, 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 there's a reality, this is already true, it just has not yet been fulfilled or you have not yet experienced it. So he, he tells us that, and then we respond to that. This is what God has done, Paul says, and listen to our response, verse 8. We'll put it up on the screen, continuing on. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What I just read to you and what we just put up on the screen, you, you may not realize this, but those words changed the world about 500 years ago. That, that grace through faith, not our works. A guy named Martin Luther read this stuff in the mid-1515, 1516, 1517, somewhere around there. Um, and, and he was Catholic and he was living in the, in the Catholic church. And what he saw in the Catholic Church at the time was, was some abuses of power and abuses of, of their leadership. And um, he looked at that mess and he said, there's something wrong. And he opens up the scripture to Galatians and then Ephesians here. And he sees this and he goes, man, it, it is by God's grace that we're saved, not by our good works. It is not, we are not saved by how many Hail Marys we say or how many rose, rosary beads we pray over. We are not saved by how much money we give to the church to try to buy people into heaven. That's not the way the system works. And Martin Luther had a strong reaction against that based on what he just read here in Ephesians chapter 2 and in a few other spaces. And he said, no, this isn't the way the system works. Now, the church, historically, the Catholic church, for a thousand years or something, they they did some great things. Uh, And there was also some really dark things they did. Just Google, sometime for fun, Google anti-popes and look at what anti-popes did, what they considered anti-popes in history. It's not all pretty there. There was some serious abuses. Um, and so Martin Luther sort of rebels against that, and that launches what we call the Protestant Reformation. And then a lot of people kind of come on board, and the church sort of splits there. Um, and, 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 but the, the key idea for them was we are not saved by what we do, our good deeds. We're not saved by our works. We are saved by our faith in Christ, by his grace and our faith there. And it's amazing today how much people still don't really understand that. Even though we've had hundreds of years of that idea, for a lot of us, our natural inclination, or what we think is a natural inclination, is to say, uh, 
I, if there is salvation, if there's such a thing as heaven or hell, and if I'm going to go to heaven, it's because I'm a good person and I do good things. And we think it's a, this sort of work system. And it kind of makes sense. When you're a kid, if you are nice and you, you're a good boy or girl, you get rewarded. You get, you get a treat. You get a sticker. You get 100 on the top of your paper. You get an A. Your teachers tell you you're great and all that kind of stuff. We understand very early on this is the way the game works. If I perform, they love me. And if I don't perform, they won't, they won't love me or they won't like me. And, and, and that's a kind of thing we, we kind of get drilled into us from a young age. And it's, it's not right, but it's what we, it's what we tell kids. Um, and and we, as adults, we grow up and think this is the way the system works cosmically. If I do right, I get what's coming to me. And if I do wrong, then bad things are going to come to me. It's, it's you know, I, I'm on God's good list or on his naughty list. And it's that same sort of idea. And, and this scripture says, nope, you're going to be saved by God's grace, by his unmerited favor towards you. In other words, he didn't look at you and say, you're so amazing, I'm going to save you. He looked at you and said, you're a mess, but I'm going to save you anyway, and I'm going to love you anyway. He takes the first step. But the reformers and the people who came after them for 500 years, they rightly made this, this move, but they overreached on something. Let me put it back up on the screen for you. It says, by grace you have been saved through faith. And l- listen to what he says in the next sentence. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. So here's a question. And this is like a, seems like an English grammar question. When he says, this is not your own doing, what is he talking about? What is the This. Well, really, the previous sentence for by grace you have been saved through faith. The this of, of, of that is not your own doing is the whole system of being saved by grace through faith. That entire system is, it was God's plan that he would, that he would love us and he would save us and that our, we would access it through faith. What some of the reformers did from there is to say that your faith even is a gift of God. It isn't. That's not what it's saying in, in that text. It's saying the whole system of there's God's grace and then faith, which means faith is our responsibility here. It is, it is, our, it is what God is calling us to do. Uh, it is our part in this whole process. We, we respond to God in faith. So let's talk about what faith is. Uh, faith it comes from a Greek word, and I don't, I don't drop Greek words on you a lot in this, but, uh, and this is a weird one, but I think it's important. The Greek word is pistis, um, and it means, uh, we would translate that in English as faith or belief or trust or confidence, fidelity, faithfulness, something like that. Um, but, but I want us to think about, about that because historically what reformers did and then what a lot of the church started to do is say that faith equals belief and trust only. So if I have faith in something, it means I mentally sort of believe in it and I trust in it. That's fine, but there's more to the word than that, especially when you start looking at the idea of fidelity. What is fidelity? Well, fidelity is like, is like faith in action. It's like belief and trust in action. If, if I have fidelity to my wife, it means I trust her and I believe in her. Yeah, there's, there's that piece of faith. I, I believe that she will be faithful to me. Um, but fidelity implies that I am going to continue to live out that belief over and over. I, I'm not just going to believe and trust in her one time mentally. I'm going to act in a way that is consistent with that. I'm going to, my actions will show that I trust her, that I believe in her, and that she does that to me. So fidelity looks a little more like being loyal to her. We maybe say loyalty. Um, or uh, maybe another way to say that is that my fidelity, my faith, 
um, in my relationship is me showing my allegiance to her in the way I speak and in the way I act, in word and in deed. And there's something similar going on with faith in Scripture. It's not just mentally, oh, I get it, or I trust, or I believe. There's, there's something bigger going on than that. It, it is actually expressing something like loyalty or allegiance to, to God. That's why a couple of weeks ago we taught on baptism. Baptism is really your entry step of allegiance. It's you taking action. It's you expressing your allegiance, your loyalty, your fidelity, your faith. It's you saying, okay, I trust God. I'm going to get into the waters of baptism and give my life to him. We just celebrated a couple of baptisms here back July 4th weekend. So uh, people make that choice. And, and so we're, we're, we're seeing that. That is what is required required of us. That's what God calls us to, is make that step um, and, and express your faith, express your allegiance to him in, in baptism. Um, I like the term allegiance for faith. It's not one we use too often. Um, we don't use it too often in, in, regular, in regular culture, not just outside the church, but we don't use it. But it, it kind of gets me to this kingdom idea that we have allegiance to uh, a king. And really that is that is at the heart of the gospel. A lot of people say, oh, the, the gospel of Jesus is that we are saved by grace through faith, that, that, that phrase. And it's like, yeah, that's a part of it. But when Jesus proclaims the gospel, basically what he said was, and what his disciples were teaching is, hey, there's a new king in town. There's a new sheriff around these parts, that kind of idea that Jesus shows up and he goes, I'm the king, there's a new kingdom, and here's the best part about it. Those of you who are enemies of God, I'm going to make you friends of God. I'm going to bring you in. Those of you who are on the outside get, now get to be included in, and get to belong into the kingdom of God. That is the good news of the gospel, that there's a new king. And our response to that good news is to show allegiance to that king. So here's a life lesson from lockdown. What I've observed in myself and what I've observed in others during this crisis is what I, what I told you at the beginning, um, that, that the crisis, the, 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 the pressure situation makes people show their allegiances. We show what we really value, what we care about, what matters. Um, and, and you've seen a lot of that in the last six months in this country. I actually think our allegiances are really going to show up in the second half of this year. If you think it was weird for the first half of 2020, what if the first half of 2020 was the good part of 2020, right? Like, what if going into the election, what if between September and November, it gets real crazy? I, I'm thinking about that. I'm, I'm trying to prepare for that and, and plan for that. I'm, you know, stocking up canned goods or whatever. Now, uh, but we need to think about this because I, I believe in the next couple months as well, our allegiances will be tested and our allegiances will be, will be shown. And, and so who are we pledging allegiance to? When we, when we pledge allegiance to someone or something, we need to be serious about it because it requires action behind the pledge. It's not just, it's not just words. Historically, when people pledge allegiance to the wrong things, it goes very badly. If you pledge allegiance deeply to your country, this results in a form of nationalism that isn't healthy, and this is why people go to war. If you pledge allegiance to your ethnic background or your race, this results in racism and supremacy, and that always goes badly. If you combine all that together, you have the Nazi party who pledged allegiance to their country and their ethnicity. They married those things together. 
They talked about the words they used were blood and soil, that, that we, are, we have an allegiance to the blood and to the land, like our ethnic blood heritage and to the land. That was blood and soil. That was, a, that was the, the, sort of the, the Nazi rallying cry. Those same words were used in Charlottesville in 2017 by the people marching. They were chanting about blood and soil. This is the toxic mix of pledging allegiance to extreme nationalism and pledging allegiance to ethnicity. This is what is going on, and you're seeing it still in the world today. It's, but listen, it's not bad to pledge allegiance to something. It just really matters what you're pledging allegiance to. If the followers of God are called to live by faith, really what we're called to do is pledge allegiance to Christ and his kingdom, which means the way we think is about serving the king. The way we think about our mission in life, what we're here for, what our purpose, what, what the meaning of life is, all of that is, is looked at through the filter of our allegiance to the king, Jesus, and his, and his kingdom. And it concerns me when we, when we show allegiance to a political party. And there's been a lot of that in our country. I, I would say since 2016, I've seen it more, but it's probably been going on for decades, if not hundreds of years in this country, that we uh, put our allegiance so quickly into a political stance and a political view, and it becomes the everything. It becomes the filter through which we view all other things. And in some ways, I get it in America right now. We have, in this sort of postmodern experiment of the last, I don't know, 30 years, we have started tearing down everything that is meaningful in life. We've said religion is terrible, we need to tear that down. Education's broken, we need to tear that down. Club membership, you shouldn't belong to anything. We don't have the, you know, the Rotary Club and the VFW and all this stuff. Like, no, we don't need any of these things. We don't need to belong to stuff anymore. Um, and, and even your family membership is suspect. We can tear some of that down too. Uh, and we've ripped away all the things that have meaning in life. And when you do that, people are naturally going to grasp at something. They're going to reach out for something to say, what? is meaningful in this life and what people are grabbing onto right now and saying this is meaningful is politics. Like the how do we get along and how can we work out policy for us as a country? People are grabbing onto that with a religious zeal because we've torn religion down and we've said this matters more than anything. That's why it matters so much who's president. That's why it matters so much who's governor or mayor because we're making it the ultimate thing. And anytime you take a good thing and look, conversations around policy and how we can do better for everybody, those are good conversations to have. But if you take a good thing and you make it the ultimate thing, the word for that in scripture is idolatry. This is when it goes wrong for us, is when we, we, we latch onto things and we make good things ultimate things instead of giving our allegiance to the true king. I'm not saying don't get into politics at all. Here's, here's the truth. Like, some people are like, man, I, I don't care about politics. I don't like talking about it. It's one of those things you're not supposed to talk about at parties. Um, I get that. Uh, I, I can geek out on it a little bit. I, I think it's interesting. Um, but the conclusion I've come to, because I think there was a period of my life where I would have said, I'm not, politics is a distraction from kingdom work. Like, I need to be about Jesus. Politics is a distraction. And it can be that for some. Um, but the reason I care about politics and the reason I'm going to engage it is because politics, politics matters to my neighbor. And Christians are called to love their neighbors. And if I can't love my neighbor if I don't engage the thing that they're engaged in. And so there's meaning there. If, I, if, I, if my neighbor is adversely affected by policy at a federal, state, or local level, that matters to me because I love my neighbor and I want to engage 
that as well. I can't just look at people and go, Jesus loves you. Sorry, the state sucks so bad. Jesus loves you. Sorry, all these policies are stacked against you. No, I have to engage that stuff because I love my neighbor. That's what Jesus calls me to love God, love people. And that's part of loving people well. How do we do it? How, how can we engage this stuff well? And this is important as we go into election season. Um, how do we not make our political opinion idolatry? How do we not pledge allegiance to the state? How do we not pledge allegiance to a particular scientific or political view or whatever? Um, it's, it's difficult because in America, we have a binary system of a left and a right, and it's like, pick one. And then for followers of Jesus, it all feels like compromise. It all feels like, oh, I'm going to be uncomfortable with this. I'm going to be uncomfortable with this. Um, And for me, I want to stay engaged on questions of race and on questions of gender and poverty. And and I want to engage that stuff. But here's here's what I'm trying to do to live out allegiance to the king in the midst of the political discussion now. A couple things that I've got for me, maybe this will be helpful to you. Number one, um, I got to notice when I'm triggered. And I don't mean triggered in like the classic, like, oh, I'm triggered, I need safe space. I mean like when stuff really starts to tick me off, um, I got to notice that in my own heart and go, whoa, hold on, you're getting real worked up about this thing and, 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 and watch that because there's, that may be an indicator that I have an allegiance to a particular political view that isn't necessarily allegiance to Christ and I need to check that. Another check for me that I think about is when, it, when am I tempted to be mean? That's probably not a temptation for a lot of you. For me it is. Uh, I got a, I got a uh, God blessed or cursed me, I don't know, with like a quick wit and a sharp tongue, and I can use it uh, to others' detriment at times. And so um, I, I, I have to notice, like, when am I most tempted to, to be mean, to be snarky? Because it, it's not helpful. If, if kingdom people are supposed to be people of love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control... Um, all of those things can be overridden by snark. So I have to notice in my own self, hey, where am I tempted to really start digging into somebody online, in person, whatever, um, and, and is that going to override who Christ actually calls me to be? So those are some checks I kind of put on myself. Um, we have to be, live by faith, not, not, by, not just mental assent. We're, I'm going to have to live and show my allegiance in the way I talk, in my actions, um, and it has to have action. Faith without any action to it is dead. This is what Jesus' brother James says in the New Testament. He says, faith without works is dead. He's not arguing against what Paul said. Paul's just saying you're not going to earn God's love by showing works, by doing things. You're not going to buy yourself into heaven. Um, but allegiant people will show that they love God by what they do. It'll, it'll flow out of them as a response to what God has already done. And, and, and what I've noticed during, during COVID is that for a lot of people, our allegiance to Christ was built around public ritual. It was built around, do I attend church? Do I, you know, I, I, what are the public things I do that, that help me be a faithful believer? And when you took those things away and said, you're just gonna have to go home. Well, now we're in a moment, right? Because I, I've believed this all along and it was, it was reinforced during this time period. If your faith doesn't work at home, your faith just doesn't work. There's nothing to it if, it if if it doesn't start there, in your own in your own house. So two questions. I'll wrap up here quick. Number one, if an outsider observed your life for a week, your conversations, your social media, um, your daily routines, 
If somebody was to observe that, is there anything about any of those things in your life that would make someone believe that you're a Christ follower? Right? Or would people say, oh, they're a, they're a Democrat. Oh, they're a Republican. They're, they're into this movement. They're into this hashtag. Is there anything that people would look at your life and say, you're a Christ follower? That's question number one. And I can't answer that for you. It's for you to answer for you. And number two, what is one way I could show my allegiance to Christ this week? What could I do? What's one little step you could take to show the allegiance? You know, in the Civil War and in wars before that, when soldiers would fight against each other, somebody would be at the front of the line and they would be holding up their flag. And that flag represented all the things that they believe in. And the soldiers who were fighting behind that flag would fight for that flag. But here's the weird thing. They found this at, like, at Gettysburg. When someone was killed um, who was holding the flag, because it's not a great job. Like you're holding the flag and everyone's rah-rah the flag, but you don't have a gun. So you're holding the flag, you're kind of defenseless, and you're at the front. So what would happen is a lot of people holding flags would die. And you would think after watching someone hold a flag and die, you wouldn't quickly volunteer to take his job. You'd be like, you know, I'm good. Let's just let the flag sit there for a second and we'll just keep going. That's not the way it worked. There was multiple people fighting over the opportunity to be the next one to carry the flag, even though they're dying in quick succession. That's what they found is because people wanted to raise that flag and say, this is the banner that I'm flying under. And I wonder if there isn't something there for followers of Jesus as well. Not under nationalism, not under, not under ethnicity, not under those things, but maybe we need to pick up the flag a little bit and say, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to raise this flag. How, how could we raise the flag of Christ and show our allegiance? I, allegiance? I think we raise the flag every morning when we pray or every day when we pray. I think we raise the flag a little bit and show our allegiance to Christ when we read scripture and read his words and try to meditate on them and get them into our hearts. We raise the flag of Christ whenever we bring healing into situations with our words rather than bringing division. We raise the flag when we start building bridges and relationships with people who are different from us ethnically or economically and we start building some bridges. We are raising the flag of Christ when we do that. We raise the flag of Christ and show our allegiance to him when we take risks about our faith and we speak up to someone who doesn't know Christ. We show our allegiance to God when we give money and we say, I'm not going to spend money the way the rest of the world does. I'm going to show my allegiance to Christ by giving money for kingdom purposes. We show our allegiance to Christ when we serve others in the church, in the, in the schools, in the community. So that's the challenge. Let's do those things that week and, and this week and, and really raise that flag and, and, and march under that and follow Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you that uh, your son died for us, that we are going to celebrate now. We are going to sing and take communion when we're going to remember the body and blood of Christ. Uh, God, as we take bread and juice in our homes to remember your sacrifice, we, we, uh, we thank you and, uh, for making those of us who are enemies of you, you've brought us near. God, help us to show allegiance to you in, in what we do and how we talk in the way we live our lives. Um, help us to show that allegiance. And, um, and, and, and be faithful followers of you. God, help us to really do the examination in our own hearts. Where am I, where am I triggered? Where am I uh, tempted to make my allegiance to something else more important? Um, and uh, help us to keep you front and center. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.